In the fall each year we all congregate The mouth all gathered at the church's tailgate The scriptures reading from the book of months Our favorite verse, my God, a freshman Drunk and obnoxious, what Georgia faith Ain't nothing finer in the land Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday and that thing Welcome to the Saturday in Athens podcast. I'm Herschel Gurley here as always with my co-host, Boss Dog, Boss Barker to People. Hello, everyone. We're back to bark about the 2020 season. Going to put a nice little bow on everything and just kind of, you know, talk about the upcoming offseason. Tons to talk about with everybody coming back, people leaving for the portal. So just going to dive right in. As Bill Belichick would say, we're, we're on to 2021. 2020 is behind us. Um, hopefully in more ways than one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess first let's kind of just start off with the national championship game last night. Uh, obviously Alabama resounding victory over Ohio state, I guess just kick us off with what your thoughts were on that. And if the result was your expectation or if you were a little surprised with the outcome. I think it was exactly what I expected. Well, it was exactly what I expected. I expected Alabama to win. I expected them to win handedly. What surprised me was Ohio State playing archaic football for the time that we are in. I mean, you and I have talked about it throughout the year, just that the style of football has changed on a dime. And, you know, really it's midway through last year, you know, LSU, potent offense, the style of offense changed and, became an offensive, you know, offensive style game. And Ohio State tried to change the script last night, tried to be a ground and pound, two tight end set. It really reminded me of Georgia from three years ago. Um, the style of game they tried to play, which doesn't fit their their skill players at all. And really their defensive style was the same thing as well. It was like we're gonna stop Najee and make Mac beat us and make their outside weapons beat us. And no offense to Ohio State, they just can't hang with the athletes that Alabama has. And it was very evident throughout from from the first drive that they were not going to be able to hang with the athletes that Alabama had. And then just showed last night, Nick Saban has once again shown how he is the greatest coach ever. He made slight adjustments here and there, and Ryan Day did not make any adjustments, it seemed like, throughout the entire game. I didn't really watch much of the fourth quarter because it was really – there was not any doubt at that point, but – Anytime you can scheme Devontae Smith on a linebacker several times and there's no adjustments made, really, there's something wrong there. There should have been some adjustment made to that, and there just wasn't. And I was just dumbfounded. If I was an Ohio State fan, I'd be more mad at the coaches than anything else watching that game. I've got a few thoughts. Not really a lot about the game itself, just about the outcome. So first thing is with that title, that's – what his sixth at Alabama, seventh overall, correct? Correct, correct. All right, so I did the math on that today. That means if you have been a part of a recruiting class at the University of Alabama on the football team, uh, you have at least one national championship ring if you were recruited from 2006 to present day. That is absolutely bananas. Like, 
we're talking, what is that? 14, 15 classes of recruits that if they stayed and played for their full eligibility have at least one national championship ring. I mean, that means that Saban and his staff can legitimately go on the road at this point and essentially say, if you come to the University of Alabama to play for the Tide, I guarantee you'll win a national championship before you graduate. I mean, if nothing that's, else, that's bananas. Like, I think it just speaks to the standard of excellence that they have set there. And I mean, excellence there is the expectation. And I think we've talked about this a ton over the last year that that is a what we believe Kirby is building in Athens, number one. And number two, man, I really think they're close. Like, I think that some of the gripes the fan base has had recently, I mean, it's still, you get a lot of the chicken, the chicken littles in the fan base that are griping about the things they've always griped about, but the gripes have gotten bigger. Like we talked about last episode, the expectation is for us to play in the SC championship game. Like that's just the baseline. And I think, I think that's a, a bigger shift than we probably give credit for. And I just think recruiting wise that they're not far off from that excellence. Now I'm not sitting here trying to say they're going to win six national titles in the next 14 to 15 years, but I'm just saying they are closer to that standard than they've ever been in my opinion um, for a continued sustained level of excellence. So that was the first thing, man. I just, to me, the ability to say that to kids when you go sit in the living room, I mean, it literally had my brain in a pretzel today. I just couldn't, uh, I, it, that's incredible. I, I think OJ Howard tweeted something after the game last night saying something like, if you come to Alabama, you will win a national championship. And when I saw the tweet, I was like, I mean, he's right. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> that's not just like pumping the tires on your own school. Like that's just a fact. <laughs> yeah. So that, I, that's just bananas. I, I think that's that's worth pointing out. Uh, other thing I wanted to point out was, and this has nothing to do with the game, but, I mean, can we discuss Devontae Smith's outfit last night? I mean, just drip. I mean, drip yeah. everywhere. Like, the mask was on fire. The suit was on fire. Like, I know he has burned Georgia in so many ways, and, like, I should load Devontae Smith, but I love that game. I don't. I don't like, I love him. Like, and if you, I cannot if you wait can't, to see. if you can't like that kid, then you're just a hater. I mean, that kid is everything that is good and right about college football. And like, I, I just, I'm so happy for him. So happy you won the Heisman. He just, he seems to be the, the ideal for everything to root for in college football. And like, I don't know, man, I just was so fired up for him and dude to wear that outfit and then to go out and just light it up last night. Like, I mean, to your point, yeah. I know, I know what you, I get what you're saying about the scheme thing. And I'm really glad you brought that up because of watching it last night. I just kept thinking to myself, thank God Texas hired Steve Sarkeesian <laughs> because like, dude, <laughs> yep, <laughs> he did a phenomenal job this year. And I know he's been getting some love and obviously he's getting love professionally because he's got the head job at Texas. But, like, I still feel like the job he did this year was a little bit undersold. I mean, that offense was phenomenal, and it wasn't just a talent thing. 
he did a fantastic job all season long of out scheming everybody. I mean, you saw it in their game against us. You saw it in their game against Florida. You saw it in the game last night. He put his players in a position to win on every single play. And I, I mean, from a, from the perspective of one of your coordinators, what more can you ask for? Like, I don't know. I just, I thought he was excellent and I, I don't think that should be discounted. So, Hey, happy trails, Sark. Yeah. Hope you have a great time in Austin. <laughs> yeah. Good riddance. Um, also, some of the snippets have been floating around Twitter of him talking about offense at a Nike coaches clinic from 2019. And within that kind of Twitter thread is the full hour long video of him. And I mean, if you just love football, go watch that. That's just one of my favorite things is to sit there and listen to those guys break down the game and homie, he just goes, this is what we're going to do against cover three. This is what we're going to do against cover two. This is what we're going to do against man. And it's kind of like a peek behind the curtain, right? You're kind of like you're, you're talking to Oz a little bit and I don't know. I enjoyed it. No different from the, the chalk talk that we referenced many, many episodes ago of Kirby and coach Schumann. So I I just, I love that kind of content, regardless of who the coaches are just, I mean, they are as good at what they do as anybody. That's why they are where they are. So I think it's just, it's great content. Um, The other thing (laughs) I wanted to talk about was there was a little montage of the Gatorade bath from every one of Saban's titles from LSU to present day. And I probably watched it like seven times just because it's laugh out loud funny to me because for like the first five, he just looks so pissed off every time it happens. And my favorite one, and it never stops being my favorite one. And I remember consciously having this thought when it happened in real time, but you remember the one where they beat Texas? I think it was their first title. And it was uh, the Colt McCoy team. Yeah, Colt gets yeah, hurt yeah. early. And the Gatorade dump, he's wearing that white pullover, and it's the red Gatorade. But, like, the uh-huh. two dudes that came to Gatorade bathing, like, just low-key clobber him with the Gatorade bucket. <laughs> yep, yep. And he just looks so irritated about it. And for when I first watched it, I was like, oh, he's so irritated because he just got hammered with that, with that Gatorade uh, bucket. But as the years have progressed and I've continually watched that clip and like, I just think you've learned more about who he is. I really think what he's actually pissed off about is that they didn't do an excellent job of being Gatorade dumpers. (laughs) (laughs) They botched it. Yeah. Like I think, I think he probably replayed the tape for them and said, I, I boys next year, this is what we're going to do. We're going to we're going to elevate the bucket and dump so there's no contact, all right? Like we're we're going to be excellent at this the next time we do it. <laughs> I mean legit, I think that's what happened. Tell me that didn't happen. No, you're I can see that happening. Uh, I can so see that happening. So, oh, it just it it makes me laugh every time I watch it. And I hope now every time you see that, that's what goes through your brain. I definitely will. I, I want to go watch it right now, actually. <laughs> oh my God. That's great. So, yeah. That's spectacular. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, I, I told you, I didn't watch the whole game. I watched till half, but um, for me, it was, it was expected. I just didn't think Ohio state matched up real well with them. And uh, I don't know, man, I, I think, And I say this just as a college football observer. 
I think all teams that played a full boat should get a ton of credit, right? Because yes, of sure. all the of all the things they had to deal with. And as we look back on, let's kind of pivot to Georgia's 2020 season. I think that's one thing this Georgia team should get a lot of credit for. And I mean, let's let's just shout this out from the rooftops. I mean, dude, standing ovation for Ron Corson and his staff, man. Like, yep. They did an excellent, excellent job, and they should be just applauded for that at every turn. Um, putting those student athletes in a position to chase their dreams and play the game they love and do it in as safe a way as possible. So I, I just really want that to be mentioned, and I really want them to be recognized for that. And, um, you know, we said this a couple times on our, on our shows, but – Georgia is one of the only teams in the SEC, and Alabama was too, who uh, had no cancellations strictly because of things happening internally in their program. And I think that says a lot about all the kids in those programs for following the protocols and being disciplined and doing what their staffs were telling them. And I know we just kind of brush that off and go, oh, yeah, great job. But like, there were adversity in more circumstances, I think, than any other college football team in history. And I don't know if that's even really debatable. I mean, given given everything they had to deal with, with all the testing and the not knowing what if they're actually going to play their game the week they're preparing for it, and to go 13-0 and and do it in the fashion that they did it, I don't know, man. They, they got a pretty good argument. I mean, because they were real, real good. I think this is probably the – it's really hard. I really want to talk about this again in like six months because it the season just ended and it's recency bias, you know. And I remember when we first started the podcast, like LSU was the best team we ever saw. The LSU team was the best team we ever saw at the end of last season. Hold on. I'm glad you brought that up because this is my question to you. First thing I thought this morning, who you got, 2019 LSU versus 2020 Alabama? Because I would love to see that game. This morning – 2020 Alabama. And the reason being and see, is, I don't know. My reasoning is, is that over the course of this year, Alabama's defense has gotten better and has shown me something, even though they got torched by Florida just three weeks, three games ago. I mean, they, they showed me, they got better. LSU's defense throughout the year was always just kind of meh. Georgia in the SEC championship game, you know, we are a Georgia podcast. So I'm going to talk about that. If Jake could have hit the bronze side of a bulldozer that game, that would have been a game. The first two drives we had, we had wide receivers running wide open for long touchdowns, and he underthrew both of them. Yep. Well, and if Dom was healthy the full game. That, that's true, too. But, I mean, he had D-Rob open, huge down the, the middle of the field on a third down and, like, 15 play on the first drive. He had George open down the sideline. That was both on the first drive, and he, he underthrew both of them. Um, then he had one, I can't remember who it was, on the right side that he threw out of bounds um, on the second drive. Those were All three of those plays are touchdowns. He hits those two. That's an entirely different game. Yeah, so the interesting thing for me about that 2019 LSU team was – Outside of the game against Alabama, they didn't really match wits with an offense that was even close to as explosive as they were. And so I think that would be an interesting proposition because to your point, I think everybody and their mom would have said last year that 
that defense was unproven. So if you had a team that could really stretch them out and said, okay, y'all got to go toe for toe with us and score for score. I think it would have made things interesting. And I think that Alabama team with Tua last year showed you score some points on them. Right. So yeah, I think that that piece of it with those two teams would be super interesting, especially, and this is a big asterisk if Jalen Waddle was healthy. Yeah. Because I think you go their three across versus um, LSU's three across. And I think back to back with Clyde Edwards Hilaire and Najee Harris, I think that's pretty much a wash, right? Both, both guys can carry the football. Both guys can catch it out of the backfield. I think the one interesting piece is I think Mac's going to distribute it just as well as Joe Burrow did in those offenses. I think the one interesting piece is, yep, I think his elusiveness would cause some issues. And well, so the, the one different there's another difference you're not taking into consideration. His elusiveness would cause some issues, but Alabama's offensive line is far and away better than LSU's offensive line was last year. Yeah. Like night and day. I, yeah. I like it's not even close. I like, agree. There's with that. five legitimate NFL players on that offensive line for Alabama. I, I maybe one on the LSU line from last year. Yeah, that's fair. But I, I mean, I guess. This, I mean, Burroughs Lucifer could make up for that, but yeah. this exercise proved what was in my brain, though. And my thought was it'd be a hell of a football game. So, oh no, it would. It would. I, I, to your point, I agree with you. I, I think you know, obviously, we got we got to give it a little breathing room, but I just think that, that yeah. this team. That's what I said. I Let's think, talk about this in like three three months. I still think history will remember this 2020 Alabama team favorably just because of the weapons that they had. And I mean, look, man, Devontae, he, he's going to go down historically as a really, really, really just high caliber college football player. Like when they start doing the top hundred football college football players in history, you know, when they celebrate whatever anniversary is next, or yeah. top 150, or I don't know what, what we're at next, 175 maybe. He'll be on the list. Let's just put it that way. So, yeah. All right. So, let's move into some player movement stuff, and let's first specifically address George's roster. So, since we last talked, Adam Anderson and Jamari Salyer both announced they're coming back. I think our expectation was that the, both of them would come back. However, and this is a big however, news drops last night that Tyreek Stevenson is transferring and, I mean, all, by almost all accounts, is transferring back home and going to the U. Well, his so, Facebook page already Two says, questions actually. on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that was pretty obvious. And I, a couple things before we get into the minutia of it. Uh, number one, phenomenal football player, uh, gave, gave everything he could to university of Georgia and thankful for him. And for me, my last in memory of Tyreek the freak, and I'll always be happy about it is that play he made against Cincinnati. I mean, just yep. what a play, right? I mean, that, that is the reason that they won the peach bowl. I, I mean, I know other things happened, but absent that play, it's not even a conversation. So I'll always remember that. And boy, was that an otherworldly play. Um, the other thing is, uh, you know, I think given the circumstance of the year, 
I'm just giving kids a a whole lot more grace when it comes to transferring, especially when it's a situation where they're wanting to be closer to home, given everything that's happened in this past year. So just want to put those two things up front and then ask you these questions. Number one, how surprised were you? And number two, what, what do you think was the main impetus for that move? There were rumors floating around a couple of weeks ago that he was going to – actually, there were rumors floating around months ago that he was going to transfer, like during the season, that he was going to put his name in the portal. During the season, I think – I want to say it was after Florida, and then they were squashed. And then there were rumors several weeks ago before the Peach Bowl that he was going to transfer. And then they were then they were like, oh, these are just rumors. There's no founding for it. So I was like, all right, you know, we're good. He's going to stay. He's going to be the leader of the secondary next year. So when it came out that he was transferring, I mean, it was like, it literally was bang, bang. Rumors started swirling at like four, at like 4.30, he was in the portal. So it was like really quick again that they came back. Well, and hold on. And then, and, then, and then hold on. And then at like 6.30, the highlight video was on IG with thank you notes. <laughs> yeah, no, it was ridiculous. Like, I mean, it was all so. I mean, it was it was quick. So clearly, this is something that I think that he had kind of like made his mind up a while ago and just decided to play out the year. It was so it was a little bit of shock when I when you called me and told me because I hadn't seen it yet. And but then the more I thought about it, I was like, okay, the writing was kind of on the wall for this one. And honestly, it has to be to go closer to home. Like, I mean, it has to be. And there's no reason you're going to leave a situation where you're going to be the clear cut number one corner to go to a situation on an SEC playoff contender to go to an ACC where you're, where you're playing for second best, because let's face it, no one's beating Clemson next year, unless he feels that George is just playing for second best in the ACC and he just rather be for home, rather go home. Now I've also heard that this, you know, this statement from people, which I I don't, I take this with a grain of salt with kids, but there's also, you know, he'd rather be a big fish in a small pond. So the talent level in Florida, you know, it's basically him and that, that freshman, James Williams, there's nobody else there, like as far as talent wise. So it's like, he would stand out more against, you know, as far as scout size. So I mean, I guess there's something to that, whereas opposed to Georgia, he's going to be around more talented players. I don't know how much there is to that, but, you know, it's it's the rumor mill, you know, so take it for what it's worth. Well, look, I obviously all the listeners weren't privy to our phone conversation last night, but uh, I think you heard the surprise in my voice um, when I called you. I mean, it I about fell off the chair when I saw it. I I did not expect it at all. Um, I thought he was going to be the guy on the boundary next year. Um, and had, I mean, did I, it, it, it had not entered my brain space that he was on the way out. So I, I was shocked. Um, and, you know, to your point, just like environmentally talking about some of the things like I'm with you for me, the only thing that makes proper sense is that he just wanted to be closer to family because I just feel like from a mm, future perspective, setting himself up, kind of have his bag year type thing. Like, dude, you're coming off what's possibly two out of three years where they put 
a cornerback in the first round in the NFL? Like, I mean, dude, I think if Stokes has a good combine, he's got a fringe shot at that. And DeAndre was, what, two years ago. And so I just – there's a lot of pedigree there, right? So, I I mean, the ultimate goal for these kids is to play in the league and to be drafted as high as possible. And to your point, what better way to set yourself up for that than to play high-level football in the SEC? Um, So, man, I was surprised. And I think the necessary follow-up question to that is – that leaves an, I think, admittedly already thin defensive backfield. I mean, homie, we just got real thin on on at the corner position from an experience perspective. Now, I'm not saying there's not a ton of depth there because there is. But I'm just talking about snaps played and guys that have been in the fire. So, for me, that has now become the number one storyline as we go into their 2021 season is yep. – how does that secondary look against a big passing attack? And look, you and I have talked about this off air a ton. I think the good thing for them is outside of the season opener against Clemson. And at this point, we don't even really know what they're going to be on the edge yet, what their offensive attack is going to look like. Who are they facing on that schedule? That's going to be high flying and flinging it around the yard. A la 2020 Bama or 2020 Florida or 2019 LSU. Nobody, right? I mean, there could be somebody that pops up, but right now, nobody. Right now, nobody. Yeah, exactly. So that's a good thing because I feel like it gives them a little bit of an opportunity to get their footing and figure out, you know, who they're going to be and get themselves situated. So that hopefully will be a blessing. Um, And we'll just have to see. I mean, this is the point where the recruiting has to show up, right? Where the the guys you brought in have to show up and you say, look, talent's going to play. And to the point we discussed earlier about excellence being the standard, I don't, I don't see all this hand ringing at Alabama when all this stuff happens. I mean, guys are going to league there every year. Guys are leaving or whatever. Man, they just, they just reload, and that's what we have to become to to be there, right? And so I think this is an opportunity to do that. I think with with anything, if you could even consider this adversity, but you, you got to take it and turn it into an opportunity. Take the adversity, turn it into an opportunity. I think that's what that has to be for these for these guys that are next man up. So, um, so who do we got left? We got, we got decisions that we're still waiting to hear from Zeus on, right? He's really the only one left for a decision. Yeah. He's really it, right? Everybody else has made their choice. Everyone else has made their choice. And the, the last day to declare, I think is the 18th or 19th. Yeah, man. I don't know. You know, if I was advising him, I'd tell him to go. Um, I wouldn't say it's a, you know, Big time depth year for running backs in the draft, and he had a, he had a good enough year, I think. I mean, the numbers look just fine, and I think the concern with him is is that one year could really propel him up, but then one year he he's basically weighing the one year could really propel him up the board, but he could also get hurt again. So, and there's only I so think, much tread on running backs' legs. I think for me, man, his his decision point is real similar to what Elijah's was two years ago. I think he's really got to evaluate what that backfield looks like coming back. And is he going to get two thirds of the carries like he did this year? Because I will say this, and I I don't really have a great empirical argument for it because the numbers are the numbers. It's just an eyeball thing. Did he do anything to justify that? 
I mean, I just think when you objectively just eyeball test, look at the other guys that played, I, I don't know, man. Like, I would give Kenny more run. I would absolutely give Kendall Milton more run. I mean, I think another year in the program, another year in the weight room, who Kendall Milton could come out and have a monster year next year. Monster. Yeah. I agree so with that. I, I th- and then, homie, we're not even talking about James Cook. So I, I just, I don't know, man. I, I think you got to start looking at a numbers thing and wh- where are the touches going to be. And yeah, I don't know. I, I think if I was in that advisement group, I'd tell him, I, I think you got to take a shot and go. Cause I think we talked about this off air, but he'll make a roster. I mean, he's, well, he'll make a roster because he plays special teams. That's the, that was the difference yes. between him. That's the difference between him and Elijah. Elijah yes. didn't play special teams, and that's why Elijah's bounced around practice squads. Yeah. And but Zeus played special teams. I mean, Zeus had a block punt this year. So yep. and everybody thought it was Tyson. Like I remember people like you know talking about it on uh, Twitter, but it was it's actually Zeus. So yep. I mean, he plays special teams, and he will he will make a roster because he plays special teams. Yeah. So. And I don't see that. I, I mean, I see him. I don't see him bouncing around practice ones, but I see him making like an active roster um, because of that. I will say, man, the longer that it's gone on, the more I've been like, he must be wrestling with this. Like, I thought he was a for sure he's going to declare. So did I. So did and I. I thought it would happen real quick. Um, and so as it's progressed, it kind of reminds me of, and it's, I mean, this is a, a way different talent conversation, but I'm just talking about the actual decision itself. It reminds me of Roquan after 17, um, which for me, man, I, that one was like a no brainer. Like if he didn't go, then I think he catap- he would have catapulted himself to my number one favorite dog of all time, because he obviously loves the university of Georgia. And I still yeah. think he does. Like, I think that's why the decision took him so long. Um, Oh, also, man, you talk about your what ifs. Could you imagine that team with him back in eighteen? Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, Woo. I don't even think about. I don't even yeah, let's not let, let's not talk about that. That's, but that is... uh, that's a whole nother podcast. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, man, the Tyree thing was interesting. So my my question, to you, I ask you the same thing on air that I asked you on our phone call last night. What do you think? this means for them in the transfer portal or do you think it changes things from what they're trying to the pieces they're trying to put in place between now and signing day well i think the biggest i i, I think they're really high on nyland green i think they yep. they're really high on nyland green i think that this will I, I think this it not saying that I, I i'm not gonna i don't want tyreek on the team but i think this actually helps in the recruitment of terry and honorable um, yeah. because it opens up playing time right away. And people say that Arnold could come in and start right away. I, I'm not sure. I think Arnold's more safety, but he might fit in star, um, which that's part of the thing with Stevenson too. I feel like Stevenson kind of played out of position. I think Stevenson's more built for safety and we had him playing, yep. playing, playing star mostly, but that's neither here nor there. So I'm getting off topic in the transfer portal. Really? I don't want to waste the spots unless it's somebody that's going to come in to start. Like, a, why are we going to waste a spot? Because we have, like you said, we have depth. Yep. Why are we going to waste a spot on someone to come in to just take up depth from young guys that could get playing time behind our starter? If they're not going to come in to start, what's the point? Yeah. Like, that's kind of my thought process. I did see someone, Christian Tut, he just entered the portal um, today. 
So that's a possibility. He started all season. He st- he's actually a two-year starter, I think, at Auburn. So um, he entered the portal today. So, I mean, that's a possibility. I'm not sure. Like he would, I mean, I think Ringo's got a spot locked down. So I, I think that's, that's not a, that's, that's a no brainer unless he's, you know, gets hurt again, or there's an issue with, you know, he just hasn't developed at all. I think Ringo's a starter. No question to ask. Um, Nalan Green, Nalan Green early enroll. Yes. Yes. Yes, he did. That's good. Yeah. I mean, so, I, look, I think between Nylon Green and Keely Ringo, that is the size profile that Kirby envisions having at the two corner positions. Right. And I mean, look, they'd be super young, right. And no game experience, but the flip side of that is it's just youth. And I think the way kids play today, I think certain kids are more apt to play early just because they're playing more football than they played. Like even when you and I played in high school, you know, like it's just, it's a, it's a year round enterprise. And so the amount of reps they're getting is, is it's just different. And I think, I think the size and the speed is always the differentiator, but from everything we've read and heard, those two guys are candidates to kind of buck that trend and play early. So, and I mean, Brinny looked great in the, in the peach bowl. So I mean, great. But I, I think to your point, I think Brinny is built more for the star. Because yeah, I mean, he would be a star. He would not be, yeah. he would not be a outside guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, and dude, I think, look, safety's I, locked. I, in my opinion, I, I don't want to just toss him to the side because he's he's been there a while and he's he's a big kid too. I, plus, he has an excellent name, and so I really want him to play. But Amir Speed, I mean, dude, he's a he's a long player. Like I, I, again, I think he fits that profile body type wise of what Kirby wants at the corner position, and he played against Cincy, so. We'll just have to see. I mean, they're going to have to figure a lot out there. Um, but I, I guess the good point the is old man. Of, huh? There's an old man of that. There's an old man of that group. You're forgetting too. William Poole is still yeah. there. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And he has been there a long time. Yeah. Well, and he'll get a look. I mean, they're going to, but he, but he's look. a star. He's, he plays the star. Like, I mean, I feel like we've got a lot of people that play the star and we don't have a lot of people to play the outside. That's yeah. the problem. I feel yeah. like we've got a lot of people that play safety and star and not a people, a lot of people to play outside. But I mean, I don't really know, like other than green, like, I don't know where Kamari Lassiter is going to fit in the other freshman that early enrolled. I don't know. I don't know if he's outside or if he's safety. Like, I don't know where he fits in, in this yeah. group. So um, if he fits on the outside, like, I don't know where our depth is behind, behind really. If, I know Nylon Green's an outside guy, but I don't know. Like, I don't know if they're going to do sides. I don't, I, I don't know what the plan is with this, but I mean, this is Kurt. That's Kirby Smart's baby. Like the secondary is his baby finger all over the secondary. And then, let's be here. So I really, really wish that um, Tyson would have decided to come back another year. He's got all the measurables in the world, but I feel like he just never put it quite all together. I feel yeah. like if, if he would have come back, you know, to have that, that one year where everything kind of clicked for him. But I feel like this year with all the youth that it's just, you know, there's going to be some growing pains, but there could be, you know, we, this could be with all this development by, you know, week four, week five, week six, we're going to see all that, that, that in-game experience really pay off. Yeah. I'm with you. I, you know, look, 
Kirby and DBs, I'm, I'm never going to be too super worried about that. I think he's going to put guys in a good position and coach everybody up. So I'm not super worried about that. Um, it's just going to be, it's going to be an interesting storyline now for me, that becomes the storyline as we lead into, uh, hopefully G day, hope we actually get a G day this year and then into, into the 2021 season. So I want to touch briefly on this. We'll probably close with this, but, um, reports have been stewing over the last couple weeks that with all this stuff going on at Tennessee, that Jeremy Pruitt is probably out. And I found particular humor today in hearing Feinbaum have to talk about it and saying that he's hearing that uh, Pruitt will be out. And uh, I just think it's should be a requisite that he uh, should be compulsory that he goes on his national air and makes a formal apology to Aaron Murray, um, who was, as it turns out, absolutely right about everything. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Feinbaum is just a blowhard. And I mean, who didn't see this coming? I mean, let's be honest. Pruitt is not built to be, as Murray said, a CEO. He's no. a good coordinator, but he's a good coordinator for a few years because he rubs people the wrong way. Yep. He just, that's just who he is. That's his personality. And that's just how his career is going to go. He's going to be a two to three year stopgap wherever he goes because he's going to have to move on because he just rubs people the wrong way. I, I just, I just imagine Aaron Murray today, like Kermit sipping the tea. Just like, mm-hmm, yep. Mm-hmm, no, nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. But, uh, we had chatted a little bit about this off air, but I mean, who takes that job? Like, and Oh, Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Like what a disintegration of a program over a 20 year period. Like, I don't know, man. Like there, I feel like every guy they hire is, Oh, he's going to turn around at Tennessee. Oh, he's going to turn around at Tennessee. And I mean, it has just been one dumpster fire after another. Really, the worst thing they ever did was fire Fulmer. I mean, it's and it's not like when Fulmer was hired. Yes, he had he had what he had a bad he had an average year and then a bad year. So like the trajectory was down, but it wasn't like he had strung like you know three terrible years together in a row. Like I mean, Pruitt has had bad year, decent year, bad year, and he's they're getting rid of him. And let's be realistic, like all this talk about these sanctions that are coming down, all the rumor and all the scuttlebutt on that is that this is all Tennessee fueling this to try to get out of the buyout. Yeah. Like there's not really a whole lot of like smoke to it. Like there is some smoke to it, but it's all stuff that would normally be self-reported. But Tennessee is like higher ups are trying to make it bigger because they don't want to pay the buyout, which I think is around 13 million. Yeah. because they don't, I mean, not that they don't have the money, but they, you know, the boosters don't want to fork that money over and then have to fork over whatever money they are because they think they're Tennessee and they think they're going to get a big name coach. But I mean, who, who they, who's out there? Who's going to want that job? Well, first of all, well, look, I who's mean, out there? Yeah. I, I think, I think the, I guess I phrased that question wrong. Who of any quality or value is going to want that job? I mean, look, there's plenty of people that are going to want the job because it's, it's an SEC head job, right? But I guess my question is like, who would want to walk into that? You know, like 
the roster. It's not Ooh, like you're walking into a roster the- where you can go, oh yeah, I could see this or I could see that or we got this guy. Like, dude, that they they are bereft of talent at the quarterback position, which is, I mean, that's a starting point. And then like they just don't have dudes. Like, I don't know. I I don't know. I just Pruitt was I their seventh or eighth choice. Yeah, remember Pruitt was their seventh or eighth choice. So. Yeah. Let's be realistic. They got turned down several times the first go around. No one wants to work with Fulmer because Fulmer has his hand in the cookie jar. No one yeah. wants to work for him. That's the problem right there. Until Fulmer's gone, they're never going to get a high profile guy to come in there that's going to want to quote unquote turn the program around because Fulmer just has his hand too much in everything. That's the problem. And I'm not saying <sighs> that, you know, he's the only problem, but he's the main problem. And until he leaves, you know, Tennessee can continue to burn and be this dumpster fire that it is, and I'm going to continue to enjoy it. All right, last question, and then we'll we'll take a reprieve until next time. But if you were a betting man and were placing odds on where Dan Mullen coaches in 2021, is it is it in Gainesville? Would you take Gainesville or would you take the field? Gainesville. This is all a ploy to get him a, a new more money. This is the best team that he's had in his career that finished eight and four on a three game losing streak. Yeah. This is all a ploy to get him a new contract. This is this is the equivalent of when Gus got that seven year forty nine million dollar deal after the seventeen season when he went off of basically off of beating us and um, Bama on back-to-back weeks and make it to the SEC title. This is the same thing. That's all that, this is all that is. Yeah. I think they will be, it's going to be all off season, right? All we're going to hear about from Florida fans is how great they're going to be. And they're going to win the East again and blah, 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 blah. But homie, they are losing a ton. And like, I think it showed in the games that they're, well, let's not say there. In the games that Kyle Pitts didn't play, <laughs> they were, shall we say, average. And, uh, I mean, yeah. even if you look at our game, after he went out, their offense was pretty average. And that was against our skeleton squad defense. So, like, I don't know, man. And they're not going to have Trask, who – I think is the perfect conductor for that offense with what Mullen wanted to do this year. And so, man, they're just losing a ton of production. And what is that stat that Seth Emerson always cites about you can directly correlate percentage of returning receiving yards with offensive success. And what are they losing? Like 85% of their returning receiving yards. Something like that. Uh, It may not be quite that much, but it's, it's over 80. I know that it's, it's ridiculous. It's a lot. So, yeah. And they're losing, you know, the guy that threw it to all those guys. So, I don't know. I, I just think they're going to be in a tough spot. And uh, lest we forget, that defense was horrendous. And, and they still have the leader of that defense. Exactly. Exactly. So, <laughs> I don't anticipate uh, Florida being any kind of, um, you know, big juggernaut next year. I just think in general, the East is going to be. Really, really bad this year. I mean, 
really, really bad. Um, and you know, our cross divisionals are what Arkansas comes between the hedges and we play Auburn. And so like Auburn's got first year head coach. I don't know, man. I just, that schedule does not seem daunting to me. Um, so we'll see. I mean, look, a lot, a lot can change between now and, and now and then with a lot of injuries and stuff, but outside of Clemson, there just ain't much juice on that schedule. And boy, I am fired up though, that that's where they start. I love a big old blockbuster to start the season. Like, I just think it makes the weight a lot more palatable because you're actually got something to look forward to and you're not playing Samford to open the season. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know that's, that's so true. And I, I do, um, it, since we're getting ready to close, I do. I, and I hate to reference something that I read cause and not remembering where I read it from, cause I hate not giving credit, but if the season is not, the schedule does not get changed and we open with, um, with Clemson, like we're supposed to really the Clemson little mini dynasty that they had really started with a win over the dogs yeah. in death, in death Valley. Let's return the favor this year. That's just, I can't remember. I can't remember who said that. I, I, like I said, I hate that, but let's return the favor this year. We've got a long off season, but let's that, that that's what I'm looking forward to. That can function as a gigantic catapult, not just from the win, right? Cause it's not just about the win. It's about the narrative and game day is going to be there. They're going to be on a national stage with a national platform once again for the brand to show who they are and what they are. And if they can come out and get a win on that stage, it really, I think, elevates them from a narrative perspective for the rest of the year. And I think really gets that train running downhill um, for 2021. So, yeah, man, it's going to be interesting and a lot of excitement. And, I mean, it stinks we got to wait, but at least we got – a lot of stuff to be excited about as we wait. And uh, yeah, man, that's all I got for today. So as, as we always say, go dogs, sick them. Go dogs. Hey, George is better now.